Today on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael's in the book of Mark, chapter 6, verse 14, with a message titled, A Fallen Hero. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. A fallen hero is the message, Mark 6, 6 uh, 14 through 29. I want to ask you a question. How would you define a hero? You know, today, uh, I think we look often in all the wrong places for our heroes. Our heroes are typically someone who's on a TV screen or someone who's good at something, maybe singing or acting or sports. And certainly you can look up to people like that for their abilities. And of course, it's always refreshing to find when you maybe admire an athlete or a singer or somebody like that, and then you find out they're a Christian. I think it's even all the more encouraging. How do you define a hero? It's not about whether or not a man has fallen in battle, but it's what a man or a woman stands for that makes a hero. The value of a life is not about the length of days or achievements. Rather, it's about the impact that that person made for God on others. What did you do? Who did you touch? What did you live for? And what did you die for? That's the questions I think that we should be asking in our generation. The life and death of John the Baptist stirs those kinds of questions. In many ways, his death seems like a senseless tragedy, especially the way that it happened. It seems even that perhaps evil won the day. But it's not true. Evil did not win the day. Because evil will be dealt with. And we'll see in this story how even Herod could not live with what he did. But I do have questions like you. Why did John have to die so young? He was only in his 30s. Remember, he was born just a little bit before Jesus, so he was in his 30s when he died. Why? Why did he have to suffer imprisonment and death in this way? In fact, in the Machaerus prison, which archaeology has discovered today, we believe he spent about a year in this dark, terrible place. No light, no fresh air. Why? Why didn't Jesus intervene? Why did he let him die? And why did this wicked queen get her way? Those are questions that I think um, any person reading the Bible or experience in life should ask. They're legitimate questions. But think about it this way. You know, God didn't spare John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was the prophesied forerunner of the Messiah. And yet he died a martyr's death. And in many ways, as students of the Bible, we should be thinking that John's death in some ways foreshadows Jesus' death. John dies primarily because of a grudge that the queen has against him because he's called out their uh, unlawful lifestyle or their sinful lifestyle. And John dies because of it. And Jesus died largely because of envy. In fact, Pontius Pilate, even knew that it was because of envy that the Jewish leadership turned Jesus over uh, to him and wanted him to die. So we gather on this Memorial Day weekend and we think about some deep questions as Christians. 
Why did John die in this way? Some people can have their opinions about why, but you know what? John didn't die because he did something wrong. So if you ever hear somebody say that, that's just not true. In fact, Jesus said of John, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. John was a great man. He was a sold-out man. Some interesting things about John, he was even filled with the Holy Spirit while in his mother's womb. He went out to the wilderness. He obeyed the call of God in his life, and he became a man, a voice of his generation, a man of deep character and morals. Luke 1.15 says, He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor. Most scholars believe that John uh, took the Nazarite vow or lived out the Nazarite vow from birth, which means he drank no liquor. He didn't touch anything, any dead bodies. He let his hair grow. He was like a New Testament Samson, but a very courageous and moral man. And of course, John was famous for his fiery preaching, and his message was just like the message of Jesus, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And John preached, and thousands of people came to be baptized in uh, John's ministry. And John was asked, are you the coming one? Are you the Messiah? And John said, no, I'm not. In fact, I'm not even worthy to untie the thong of his sandals, but one is coming after me who is mightier than I, and he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so John prepared the way of the Lord. He said in John 3.30, in these famous words that many of us have held on to, he must increase, I must decrease. In John 1.29, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of of the world. Yet John was human as he languished in prison. He even began to ask questions about whether or not Jesus was the Messiah. Matthew 11:3 says, "Are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else?" John sent that message to Jesus. He had questions. He wondered why he was in prison. And Jesus began to talk about the miracles that he was doing and then he began to uh, laud or elevate or speak well of John the Baptist. And he, he was indeed a great man. And so uh, John paved the way for Jesus. And this particular story is somewhat of an interlude in the Gospel of Mark. It's looking back on how John died, Mark six fourteen, And King Herod heard of it for his name. The name of Jesus had become well known. And remember, Last week, uh, Pastor Chris showed us what the disciples were doing in the name of Jesus. And people were saying, notice Mark 6, 14, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying, he's Elijah, they were saying of Jesus. And others were saying, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. Jesus' fame, and it's understandable why this was happening, was spreading everywhere. And it came to the king's ears. And people were talking. Jesus was the talk of the town. And people were speaking about who he might be. Take your Bible. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. As Jesus is winding down his ministry, he goes to a place called Caesarea Philippi in the northern part of Israel. Really interesting place to go. It's a place that was known for pagan worship. In fact, there's a little cutout in the hillside there 
And they called the place in ancient times the Rock of the Gods. And they have little windows. You can see these. Uh, if you look this up, Caesarea Philippi, you can see the little cutouts. And there were demonic type figures in there. And people called this area the Rock of the Gods. And they said those little cutouts in the, in the hillside were the gates that led to Hades. And when Peter makes his great confession about who Jesus is, Jesus standing at Caesarea Philippi probably looked up to the rock of the gods and said, and the gates of, do you remember? Hades or hell will not prevail against my church. It is very, very likely that when Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church, it wasn't necessarily Peter's confession, although it could have been Peter's confession with another layer that he was speaking of this rock dedicated to paganism, false religion, idolatry, the devil, and all it stood for. And Jesus said, you see, on that rock, I will build my church. And you, you might think, well, Pastor Michael, are you sure that's what he was saying? And the gates of Hades will not prevail against my church. Gates in the ancient world were for defensive purposes. So what that means is as the church rushes the gates of the unsaved world, that those gates will not be able to hold us back. Do you see that as your mission? John did. John believed that as he preached, God would do mighty things through his ministry. And indeed he did. And now all that Jesus was doing reached the king's ears. And in Matthew 16, notice when Jesus came 13, Matthew 16, 13, into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples saying, who do people say the son of man is? And they said, some say, notice Matthew 16, 14, that you're John the Baptist. Others are saying that you're Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Turn back to Mark chapter 6. So people were talking about Jesus left and right because of all these incredible things he was doing. Mark 6, 16. And when Herod heard of it, Herod was the king of the time in this region, he kept saying, Mark 6, 16, he said it over and over and over again. John whom I, the I in Greek is emphatic, beheaded, has risen. I think you could see the king walking around his palace. John, who I beheaded, has risen. John, who I killed, has risen. The king was miserable. You remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den when Daniel is put into that terrible place and Daniel is down there and you would think, man, he's going to be lunch and dinner for these lions, but he wasn't. The Lord protected him. In fact, I picture Daniel down there petting the lions. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool to pet a lion and not have to be fearful, right? And I think, I think he slept well that night, but the king couldn't sleep. And the king came to the lion's den. You remember he said, oh, Daniel, has your God delivered you? And Daniel's voice came up, oh, yes, king. He shut the lion's mouth. And then he was brought up out of the lion's den. And do you remember? But the people who accused him falsely, they went down into the lion's den. If you've read the story, it did not end pretty. But just as they were going down, they became the lunch of the lions. 
Good to be on God's side, isn't it? So Herod's pacing around. John, whom I beheaded, <laughs> he's risen. Apparently, the king believed in the resurrection. Maybe he had some weird, you know, pagan view of resurrection, but he believed John had come back to life. May, you know, this is why this is happening. He, he thought it was about him and this evil he had done. Herod kept saying over and over again, He's risen. Do you want to be able to defend your faith, what you believe in, why you believe it? We've tackled subjects like Jehovah's Witnesses, the origins of Christmas. In honor of the 500th year of the Reformation, we did a two-part message on Sola Scriptura. Is the Bible alone sufficient? Is it our highest authority? Scientology, intriguing topics that are available on the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. There'll be more to come, more exciting things to come. Now, John, uh, John's voice could be stilled by Herod's dastardly deed, but Herod could not quiet his conscience. He was able to quiet John's voice for the moment, but couldn't quiet his conscience. If people didn't have a conscience, the king wouldn't have had another thought about what he had done. But he couldn't get over it. He kept saying to himself, and he was all of a sudden thinking, Jesus is John and I'm in trouble. In Jewish thinking, the resurrection is a prelude to judgment. Maybe that's what Herod was thinking. Luke 9, verse 9 said, Herod said to himself, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see Jesus. He really wanted to see Jesus. And at the end of his life, Jesus' earthly ministry, he does see Jesus. And Jesus does not speak one word to Herod. Not one he did not even get to hear the voice of the Son of God. Who is this man? This is the question that people were talking about. This is the question that was troubling Herod. Miraculous powers are happening. And so the enemies of, that are going to be mentioned here in this text, let me tell you a little bit about them. Uh, King Herod was known as Herod the Tetrarch, according to Matthew 14.1. He's the one that killed John. Uh, he was uh, uh, Idomean, his dad was Idomean, and his dad had married a Samaritan woman, so he was basically a Gentile. He eventually heard the news about Jesus. The term Tetrarch technically means a ruler of the fourth part. When Herod the Great died, and Herod the Great was the king that had the babies killed in Bethlehem, and he was the ruler at the time that Jesus was born, when Herod the Great died, his kingdom was divided among some of his sons, and they took a fourth part. And so they were all technically tetrarchs, and they oversaw different regions of Israel at the time. And so this particular Herod, Herod he was known as Herod Antipas, wanted to have the title of king, but he would not get it. In fact, he would later ask the emperor Caligula to proclaim his, him as king, but Caligula refused. Herod the Tetrarch was son of Herod the Great by his fourth wife, Malthaki, who was a Samaritan. His dad was Idomean, as I mentioned, from the area of Edom. And he was hated by the Jewish people because basically he was a descendant of Esau and a descendant of a Samaritan. So the Jewish people and the Jewish leadership were not happy to have him as the king of this particular region. And so he had brothers. One of his brothers was named Archelaus. Another brother was named Philip. 
and the, the area was divided up among the brothers. He was at this time in his 32nd year of rule. He spent most of the year in a place called Tiberias, which, by the way, was built on an ancient cemetery, which really troubled the Jewish leadership because they felt like if they walked on this ground, then they would be defiled. And um, he had this place built, or his father had a place built called Macaris. It was a palace on the top with a dungeon on the bottom, seven miles east of the northern tip of the Dead Sea. The fortress sat about 3,500 feet above sea level, even higher than the city of Jerusalem. And down below it had a dungeon, a terrible uh, dungeon, dark, rank, no fresh air, no light. And archaeologists have discovered um, shackles where they believe the prisoners were kept in this area. And John the Baptist, you know, if you've seen some movies about John, they show him in a dungeon, you know, chained to a wall. And that's very real, put together by this area and what's been identified in this particular area. So notice, we pick up the story in Mark 6.17. Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound him in prison. Remember, we're looking back now on what happened. On account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. Herodias was the daughter of Herod's half-brother Aristobulus and was thus Herod's niece. Get this. This is the stuff of daytime uh, talk shows, <laughs> television talk shows. I mean, think about it. He married his brother's wife who was also his niece. You know, this is, this is the, they pay for this kind of stuff. You know, if you're homesick from work one day and you turn on those terrible talk shows, <laughs> this is what you'd see on there. So she's your brother's wife, but your niece also, right? Uh, yeah. So then she was technically, I guess, his sister-in-law as well. Anyway, if you want to read more on this, and because this is a family Sunday, I'm not going to go there, but you could read Leviticus 18, 16 through 25. Parents, you read it first, then you decide if you want to read it with your children. But this is the law in the book of Leviticus about what's right and wrong in regard to marriage and intimate relationships and the like. And John the Baptist, verse 18, Mark 6, had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So the scene may be that Herod came by in his carriage or there was some huge entourage with the king and the queen and John the Baptist saw them and he said, Herod! And he called out Herod, it's not lawful for you to be married to her. That's your brother's wife. And he called them out. And, you know, I asked the question, and I think some of you do as well, where's the John the Baptist today? Where are they? You know, sometimes people say, well, when it comes to moral issues in the culture, the church ought to largely keep silent. I don't know. Ask John. He didn't believe that. And Herod was not a fellow believer, if you will. But John's message was clear. You are not supposed to be married to her. And we could even argue that Herod may not have seen himself under any kind of Jewish law. But Jewish law is God's law, if you will. He was appealing to the moral commandments of God. The top ten, you shall not commit adultery. And Herod had stolen his brother's wife from his brother. And John said, it's not right. It's not lawful. New Living Translation, Matthew 14.4. It is against God's law for you to marry her. Are there any John the Baptists anymore? 
New Testament scholar A.T. Robertson said it cost him his head, but it's better to have a head like John the Baptist and lose it than to have an ordinary head and keep it. Close quote. Would you turn to Isaiah chapter 5 in your Bible? Isaiah 5. This is what I think of when I think of the culture of the time. There's nothing new under the sun, and it's kind of like our culture. We seem to be confused over things that shouldn't be that confusing. But here's Isaiah 5. Look at verse 20. God is speaking to the nation of Israel, and he says these words. Isaiah 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, Isaiah 5.20. Notice there's a woe pronounced on them. That's an expression of sympathy mixed with anticipation of judgment. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those, Isaiah 5.21, who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. You could write Herod's name there or Herodias' name there. Woe to those who are heroes in what? In drinking wine. And valiant men in mixing strong drink. Uh, who justify the wicked for a bribe. Can't think, help but think of the king of Herod. Take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. Therefore, as a tongue of fire consumes stubble and dry grass collapses into the flame so their root will become like rot and their blossom blow away as dust for they notice have rejected the law of the lord of hosts and despised the word of the holy one of israel turn back to mark chapter 6 these issues were not hard to figure out i think in his heart of hearts herod knew what he had done was wrong but there he was living in this lifestyle and the prophet reminded him He said, it's not right. What you're doing is just flat out wrong. And Herodias, Mark 6, 19, that's the wife that he stole away, had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. Now the story kind of shifts and you can see John and he's calling this, this political couple out and he's saying it's wrong, what you're doing is wrong. And the wife began to hold a grudge against John. She was not happy. She hated what he stood for and hated the fact that he had called them out. The only place, one writer says, where Herodias' marriage certificate could be safely written in her view was on the back of the death certificate of John. She didn't want to hear his voice anymore, and that's what a lot of people in our culture are doing. They want to silence the voices of opposition. If you don't approve with what they're doing, they want to silence you. They they don't want you to have a microphone. They don't want a debate. They just want you marginalized. I hope you see it, friends. That's what's happening in our culture today. And so she held this grudge. And I want to show you one more Old Testament passage that's interesting. It's in Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Go to chapter 19. So here she is nursing this grudge. Leviticus 19. She's breaking the law of God, and I'll show you which one. Here it is, Leviticus 19, verse 18. It says these words. You shall not take vengeance, Leviticus 19, 18. I hear Bible pages. It's music to my ears. It's wonderful that you guys are turning. Are you there? Okay. 
Leviticus 19.18, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall, what's your Bible say? Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now everybody just park for a second and listen to what, I just want to fill in the blank, and I think you guys are seeing this. This is one of the two great commandments. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. You show what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Would you notice that this is the verse that Jesus is quoting when he gives that combination answer. And the verse includes not taking vengeance or what? Bearing a grudge against the sons of your people. Turn back to Mark chapter 6. Are you bearing a grudge against someone? You know, it's a dangerous thing when you nurse a grudge, when you don't deal with it, when you don't give it to God, when you sit there and nurse it. The Hebrew word for grudge is natar. It means to guard or cherish your anger. A grudge means to guard or cherish your anger. Is that you? When you think about great men in the Bible, John the Baptist is at the top of my list. And what made John great is that he was set apart unto God. He was that voice crying in the wilderness. And he wasn't afraid to speak the truth and even speak it to the king. And of course, you know, John paid a huge price for that. But John was not living just for this present age, just for time. He was considering the true kingdom that he was living for. He was making decisions in light of eternity. And I have a question for you. It's just a very simple question at the close of this particular message, and it's this. What king and kingdom are you living for? That will impact your decision-making. You know, there's a quote that was shared in this message that, you know, Herod the king was pretty much afraid of everything, except he really didn't fear God. And John the Baptist didn't seem to be afraid of anything because he feared God. And you know what? There's a lot of fearful people around and we tend to fear the wrong thing. But look, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. If you fear God in the biblical sense of reverence and awe and making sure that he's the first one that you want to please, everything in your life will fall into place. Another way to say it is if you love God first, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you will love the way that you're supposed to love as well, and your life will be in order. Jesus put it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Hey, John the Baptist was a great man of God, and you know what? You are alive right now. You've been called for a purpose to live for God's kingdom. Whatever God's called you to do and to be, be faithful to it and carry it out for his glory and by his power. This is Walk in Truth Radio. This is Pastor Michael Lance. So glad that you're listening. And I just want to ask you a question. Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you met the King? Are you serving him? If you've not met him, get to know him. Receive him as your Lord and Savior today. Don't let another day go by. And if you're not serving him, if you're just a churchgoer, quote unquote, and you're not doing anything in ministry, can I just exhort you in this new year ahead of us that you would you would get in the game that you would get off the bench and get in the game and serve the king thank you for listening to today's program if you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety or if you'd like to visit our church here in corona california visit our website 
walkintruth.com.